There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on June the 30th, 2010. Newcomers, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website, bookmark all the other sites you'll see listed there for future use in case the com goes down again. And while you're at it, look into the books and the discs and DVDs I have for sale. Some of the CDs have 50 shows or more on them, so that's how I get by. I don't accept cash from advertisers. That's how most hosts make their money. It's a very lucrative business if you want to go into it, but then your hands are tied because you bring on guests to sell products really under the guise of news. So therefore, I've got a free hand to cover other topics here. Uh, the ads you hear in this show are paid by advertisers directly to the station, RBN, for their time, for the staff, equipment, and their bills. And so it's up to you to help me with mine. Now, from the U.S. to Canada, if you want to order the books or donate, you can go into my site. You'll see the, the ways to order. You can use personal check from the U.S. to Canada. You can use an international postal money order to Canada. You can use cash, uh, PayPal for donations and for ordering. Just send a separate email with your name, address and order along with the PayPal donation and I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. You can use cash. So far, so good because cash will be uh, withdrawn shortly, I think, the way things are going from some countries in Europe for sure. In fact, the big banks have said they're going electronic within the next two or three years. So electronic only, that is. So anyway, uh, in the meantime, Western Union is okay. Uh, PayPal is fine for ordering and donating. And you can use MoneyGram or cash. It's up to you. You know, we are truly going through uh, such a change that most folk who tend, and people are, because they're social creatures, they join groups. And their group generally focuses on one particular area. You find a whole bunch of them coming together for some things like the G20, G8 meeting in Toronto, uh, each pushing their own particular agenda, a whole bunch of different agendas, and they, they never see the big picture. Some of them are so naive they'll never wake up to the real world. Because as we're going through all this, massive changes are going on, have been going on before, so before this, are going on right now and are planned to go on for the next 30 years, literally planned in advance. And so all the protesting in the world is not going to change it. And maybe slowly, year after year, as they go to these different world meetings and demand fair wages for China or whatever else they're pushing for, um, they'll get that through their heads. They're really, you're being taught that you're in a post-democratic era. It's been stated from top sources like the Club of Rome. And they've explained in their own books, this top think tank for the United Nations, why it must be a post-democratic system to run the world. You see, there's too many conflicting groups, all demanding different things that actually counter each other, which often they do. And after all, the big boys who gave you the United Nations, 
The bankers have already planned your future for you. And most of us, believe you me, will not be around in 20 or 30 years, even a lot of the young ones, the way it's designed at the moment. If you've been keeping your eyes open, you'll see that the world's been designed for a much smaller population. That's what they've been up to for a long time. That's why your cancer rates are going sky high. That's why they're cutting back health care in every country, across the Western world especially. Massively, massive cuts. And that's why, too, they want to pump inoculations into you, not to fend off coming diseases, but to make sure their agenda works. Very practical from those at the top, from their viewpoint, very practical indeed. You just cull off the herd, like culling off excess deer. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, the longer you live and the more you go into so much of the information which has been made available to the general public to do with previous wars and present wars, ongoing wars and wars to be, you will find that atrocities happen all the time when you put a bunch of young guys together and give them incredible firepower and tell them to go at it. And they are told to go at it. And war today is run by statistics. They've got to bring in so many ears off their victims, or whatever it happens to be, to show to their officers that they've had so many kills. That's how, really how the whole thing runs. And they did this during the Vietnam era. There's quite a few good, very good videos out there. And going back to the 70s, even when in the 60s, when they talked to some of the first guys to come back from Vietnam, who talked about this openly and talked about their kills and how they, they just, everybody who was dead was marked down as Kong. It doesn't matter who they killed or how many villages they wiped out, which they did all the time, and how many houses they, they burned down, which again they did all the time. Uh, that was standard operating pr- procedure and that was accepted by the military and their higher ups because it had a good high kill rate. Men, women and children were killed all the time. Raping was very common. And the guys in some of these videos, if I can find some of them online, in fact, I'll put them up. But they talked about this. It was a normal thing. So you can't put young guys together uh, who are stupid and young and all macho when they're a gang, you see. And that's how they are as a gang. They, they behave just like any gang acts down through history from Genghis Khan to the present. And especially when they're given permission and authority to do the kind of things they're told to do. And a form of denial goes through them as well uh, when they they participate in these killings with with people who can't shoot back generally. And they, they have to be macho to each other and pretend it doesn't bother them. Now, the same thing goes on in, in Iraq and elsewhere, wherever you put them, the same kind of thing happens, that the raping does happen, and often they'll kill their victims so they can't say anything. See, that, that's how it goes. This is the real world that we live in, and these guys are sent there for political reasons from the guys at the top, uh, for geopolitical reasons that they don't really care about at the bottom level. They're just having, having a good time. They get drugs as well. They get a lot of perks. They get respect when they're in the military for doing all this, this killing. 
And um, we live in a rather insane system, you see, where tribal, natural tribal instincts have been used against us because tribes used to come together to fend for themselves and to defend themselves. That's been used for offensive purposes by those who know the techniques of, of using nationalism. And it doesn't matter if it goes into internationalism, uh, it'll be the same thing that happens, whether it's a UN beret or the standard uh, home beret. It makes no difference whatsoever. The same human instinct will take over when they're given permission. That's what war is about, you see. But it's always got the, the, the goals at the top from, for those who design the wars. And believe you me, resources and banking and mineral rights and everything else all come into play. And these are the fat cats who sit at the top and design the wars and never participate in them physically themselves. That's the way of life. For the guys at the bottom, the young guys, they don't care who they're fighting or why they're fighting. The standard propaganda is good enough for them. Good enough for them. Where else can you go and play cowboy and kill all the Indians? Hmm? Where else can you do that? That's, that's as simple as that. Now, the same thing goes with police, you see. Police are a military organization. They'll often say they're paramilitary, but they're a military organization. When you get uniformed guys by the thousands all coming together to a city and all hyped up for action, and generally there's not going to be much, um, regardless, they're, they're suddenly suspicious of everything. Because, again, just like the military, they've got their quotas to fulfill so many arrests. Otherwise, how are they going to justify all the money that's getting put out there for the security? And the politicians will lie their faces off about threats and stuff like that coming in. Uh, they'll lie to the public about their security um, Fences, which they did in Toronto. They said there was laws that just changed the law and all that stuff. And there was no law at all. You, you could go near the fence without being arrested, but folk were being arrested by the cops because the lower cops weren't told this was all a big con. So laws are flexible, you see, when those at the top um, pronounce them. Flexible, made up on the spot to fool the public, stuff like that. And... But what surprises me is the circus. I've always seen these demonstrations for the last maybe 15, 20 years as a circus because you've got all kinds from the very serious and legitimate to almost fringe and farcical, all mixing together, all demanding, which they have a right to do, of course, because this is the last bastion, supposedly, if you truly think you've still got democracy, is the right to protest. However... There's all kinds of strange things getting protested about. Even the right for computers to rule our brains from one, one group belonging to the technocrats. So that's what makes it farcical to the general public, and that's why they can't get support from the general public. There's other ones really protesting, and no kidding about the wages of people in China, when their own country is slated for demolition and has been going down the tubes for years. So that's a circus for you. And as I say, cops getting together like that is just another army, and you better better take one thing seriously, seriously, and that's the cops. Cops are robots. If the cops are told tomorrow that everyone who's put on um, odd socks, a red sock and a blue sock, or whatever it happens to be and comes out in the street, must be arrested or shot in the spot, they will do that. 
because that's how they are. Whatever the ridiculous law is, they will follow that law. And they'll follow it to the last minute and second of it being changed to something else. They will follow it. But when you put so much testosterone together and hype them up, suddenly they're very important. You see, they're a real mission this time. We're not just handing out tickets on the highways. No, no, this time we're after spies and God knows what and terrorists and blah, blah, blah. That they're full of. Now they're hyped up with incredible authority and they start dragging people uh, out of stores or whatever and, and searching them. Now you've got trouble, you see. And this is the sort of thing you would read about in third world countries that were under dictatorships, etc., where they were given that kind of authority. And here it's been done in so-called a first world country, which is plummeting fast, mind you. But it really has got an intention behind it. An intention is to train us all. We're getting trained each, each year. These things are seen on television. We're being trained into a new system. And that this is the new system. You obey authority. And you have no rights. And if you stand up against authority, demanding to have rights, they'll let you know what they are at the other end of a taser gun or whoever it happens to be. That's what you're being taught. It's an exercise in conditioning and training the general public. And I'll touch on some of that later. But while all this is going on, you don't realize that there's much bigger things going on all the time. Much, much bigger things. Because we're going through, literally, a, a scripted life here. Because every major thing that happens in life is already scripted and debated by security agencies and military agencies at the top and think tanks. Years and years in advance. And they do it year by year, by the way. Up until their present goal. I've gone through... The, the different uh, documents put out by the top think tanks for the military and how they'll give you a forecast for the next 30 to 50 years. Uh, and I've give, given you the British one that also does NATO, all the NATO countries, and I've given you the, the U.S. one, which was pretty well identical to the British one, and they see the whole of the U.S. and the Western world going down the tubes fast from about now onwards. And they're going to have massive rioting down the road as well. Massive rioting, possibly started off by food shortages. Something something as simple as food, because, you see, they've been cutting back on your own country's ability to grow its own food for decades and decades and decades. In fact, since World War II, when government stepped in, giving itself the right to, into all farming areas. And you're importing so much stuff now, you're a sitting duck, especially when you've got a handful, maybe one handful of importers that import most of your food. You also have had thousands of farmers put off the land over the years too, through bank tricks and taxations and different cons, or for contaminating the soil or contaminating a water stream or whatever it happens to be all intended to make you helpless. But they all, they'll call it the top. We're making you interdependent, you see. The whole world is to be interdependent for everything that it needs. It mustn't be allowed to be able to survive on its own under any means at all. Meanwhile, the elite, of course, have been, have been taking seed uh, from all over the world, natural seed that will survive any kind of terrain, any kind of uh, weather, climate, so on, and storing it in selective uh, arcs across the planet, not just the one off Norway. 
So they're planning something that we don't want to look at. And what is it? It's massive takedown of society and a post uh bulk world, let's say, when most of us are gone, and there's only themselves to come through. They debate this at the top all the time. Billions of your dollars are spent every couple of years updating their plans for survival for themselves at the top. It's just, it's really astonishing. And meanwhile, people are protesting the rights to have computers dominate our brains. And stuff like this all the time. And more rights for this group or that particular group. They forget we're all one big group and we're sitting ducks. That's why they can't come together on the same action for any anything at all. Now, I'll be back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. Now, back in the 90s I was talking about the multi-jurisdictional task force uh, that was ridiculed in the newspapers as a rumor put out by crazies at the bottom. And what the multi-jurisdictional task force was, is where they were combining police and military and various other branches of forces in special units for training, first abroad and then back in amongst their own people. So certain police that were in SWAT teams and so on were obvious candidates, and they were taking off with various military organizations to go into hot zones, different countries, get practice kicking down doors and shooting people and coming back to their own countries and back in uniform as a standard setting to to always have so many people in the multi-jurisdictional task force who had training and experience so they could be used if necessary or when within their own countries. And eventually it was leaked out years later that, yes, it did exist. It came out on CBC, actually, when they talked about the multi-jurisdictional task force and a quick Little, little uh, sequence of, uh, of, um, movie where they showed you them doing exactly that over in Iraq, working with the troops, dressed as any other troop, and kicking down doors and, and they didn't show the shooting people, of course, because it's a CBC. You don't do that kind of stuff on CBC. Unless I show you another country doing it. Anyway, that's what they, they are. And uh, then I saw them, the RCMP, going over to Haiti the first time years ago in Haiti to help police Haiti. Now, since when does your national police uh, go over to police another country? Well, this came under the NAFTA agreement because all NAFTA countries, including Jamaica, uh, Trinidad and a few other places, are part of NAFTA. And that's also why uh, they were pretty well allowed to come into the countries without visas at the time. So... We're already into this international phase where everything's internationalized. We have been for an awful, awful long time. And they're doing the same in the U.S. too. And they have been doing the same in the U.S. with the same multi-jurisdictional task forces. But it's it's going further here. Now, the RAND Corporation, which is one of the biggest think tanks for the U.S., also publishes books once you've done their surveys for the, the poor asked them to do the survey in the first place. It's over. They'll sell books on it to some people if you want to spend your money on it. But here's one here, for instance, and it's to do with a stability police force for the United States. 
and it says, um, establishing security is a sine qua non of stability operations since it is a prerequisite for reconstruction and development. Security requires a mix of military and police forces to deal with a range of threats from insurgents to criminal organizations. And remember, too, the multi-jurisdictional task forces are also to be used in times of crisis within your own countries. So that's one of the real reasons for it. This gives an experience taking them off abroad. Since this research examines the creation of a high-end police force, which the authors call a stability police force, the study considers what size force is necessary, how responsive it needs to be, where in the government it might be located, what capabilities it should have, and how it could be staffed and its cost. This monograph also considers several options for locating this force within the U.S. government, including the U.S. Marshal Service, the U.S. Secret Service, the Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs in the Department of State, and the U.S. Army's Military Police. The authors conclude that an SPF containing 6,000 people, that's a rapid uh, deployment force, created in the U.S. Marshal Service and staffed by a hybrid option, in which the SPF members are federal police officers seconded to federal, state, and local police agencies. Is that like Canada when not deployed would be the most effective of the options considered? The SPF would be able to deploy in 30 days. The cost for the option would be $637.3 million annually in FY 2007 dollars. So I'll put this link up for you to look into now remember too that cops are also being privatized all over the place. Here's one article here. Uh, police plan to use private security firms. This is from Ireland to kick it off. Private security firms like those operating in Iraq and Afghanistan could soon be used in Northern Ireland. They could be guarding police stations and providing protection for politicians, judges and other possible terrorist targets. In Northern Ireland, the Northern Ireland Chief Constable Matt Baggett is to ask the policing board to endorse the plan on Thursday. Police say the plan will save money and free up more officers for fighting crime. So hundreds of former police officers and soldiers from Northern Ireland have been employed by private security firms in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's the ex-services or Blackwater, as it used to be called, protecting individuals and buildings believed to be at risk of terrorist attack. Some of them soon may find work closer to home. So this is the way it's going. Everything's public-private now. Uh, the public pay the cost of it, although it's in private hands. That's the best way, because then they can, the government turns around and says, well, we, we can't do anything. They're, they're a private organization. Yeah. And, and you get nowhere with it. So as I say, they've been taking down the Western world uh, mightily for a long time because, you see, we've never had democracy. We were given a show of it for one generation. And they had to give us that while we often fought all there was for them. And they're still doing it. And we had a bit of freedom or choices, to really more choices what to do with their lives up until now. Now it's school to work, just like the old Soviet system. Now the music's coming in again, so we'll be back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. 
This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Just mentioning that we're given really about 50 years where people could choose what kind of work they want to go into and have a bit of freedom, some cash in their pockets. But it's all been taken away, as we well know. Everyone knows, especially the ones who have lost houses. They've known, they've known for a while what's been going on, at least that end of it. And we're being taken down to a manageable size society. But first we have to go through the chaos. Government definitely wants to bring in rationing of food down the road and ration cards. And I said that in 98. I says, you know, that's how war will go. And then 2001 came along. I also said on the air that night, in fact, I think it was, I said that uh, you'll see everything, even people getting moved, masses of movements of people because they always have uh, mass refugees uh, moving around countries within war-type situations, and that's what 2001 was for. We'll still see that yet within the U.S. and Canada too, possibly. And you get food rationing and all other things that go with war, and of course you do what you're told by authorities or else, because they have different rules under martial law. That's what we're gradually getting trained into. Under the guise of the banking collapses and all this stuff thrown into it, which is just to intensify it, the guys at the top lost nothing in any crashes. They lost, in fact, they gained all, in fact, didn't they? The real businesses were snapped up for peanuts. They went bankrupt. Real machining shops, etc., just snapped up thousands and thousands of them for peanuts by the boys at the top. And then the bankers themselves were paid by the taxpayer for robbing them. So it's just an amazing system. But this is all part of it. They could have burst the bubble any time they wanted to or kept it going for another 20 years if they wanted to because it's always been a bubble. That's what it's all about in the stock market. Now is the time, as they say, and this is the time for it all to come down into the new system. And also helps them to bring in a common, a common currency. The IMF admitted that now they, this is what they wanted to get to full status in the world, which they were created to do. They need the crisis to make it happen. Here it happens, and bingo, they get what they want. It's, it's the people who are all lagging behind as they watch their TV shows and their, and their fantasy. They, they'll never, ever wake up to what's really happening. Here's Britain for an example. I mean, Tony Blair said, and this was in the papers, and I read it from the papers a few months ago, um, he said he would change the face of Britain forever with mass immigration so that they could never go back to any anything resembling what they thought was a British way of life. Here's an article in today's paper, Mail Online. This is revealed the British towns, the towns, these are cities actually, where one worker and two is a migrant born abroad. A map today reveals parts of Britain where more than half of jobs are held by workers who were born overseas. The workforce in large parts of London is dominated by people born abroad, despite Labour's repeated promises to deliver British jobs for British workers. Well, don't you know that politicians always lie, don't care what party they're in. But foreign-born employees also have a strong foothold in other British towns and cities, from Slough and Reading to Manchester, and to Birmingham too. Campaigners said the focus of employers and Whitehall should be on finding jobs for young Britons out of work in many of these areas. And then they go on and on about, uh, although we have to limit uh, the amount of visas they give out, and say, well, that will be the day because it's not on the cards. What's happened was on the cards. It was planned that way. Planned that way. You see, people who are nationalistic, 
and all the same creed will stand up to things. When you've mixed everything up, destroyed any remnant of what it meant to be a, a nationalist or, or, or a Briton, say, then you've defeated your enemy. That's a simple tactic used. Very old tactic, though. They used in the ancient times, too. And when that's going on, too, they've called, they've renamed the, the war in Iraq to, remember when they called it Operation Iraqi Freedom? When the, they were going to use, what was they called that term? It was revolutionary democracy. That's why they gave them the right to invade countries to, to force democracy on them. That's what they gave to the public. A lot of them swallowed it, too. You know. it was, I, I call it Operation Pillage where they just grabbed all the oil wells, flattened them using bombs and used the American tax money and British tax money and Canadian tax money to rebuild refineries, which they handed out recently to all the, all the big usual boys. So they're renaming it uh, to Operation New Dawn, a nice Masonic name, a New Dawn, to reflect the reduced U.S. role. And this is... Uh, from Washington Post, the Obama administration decided to give the war in Iraq a new name, Operation New Dawn, to reflect the reduced role that the U.S. troops will play in securing the country this year as troop levels fall, according to a memo from Defense Secretary Robert M. Gates. Since U.S. forces char- uh, charged across the Kuwaiti border towards Baghdad in 2003, the war has been known as Operation Iraqi Freedom. <laughs> what a joke, eh? <laughs> Go and slaughter people and call <laughs> forcing democracy on you. The new name is scheduled to take effect in September when U.S. troop levels are supposed to drop to about 50,000. Well, we'll see about that, eh? We'll see about that. But this is the farce of the world we live in, and you've got to laugh at it when you understand what's going on. you really, really, really laugh at it. And then you get this article here. The G8 fully believes that Israel will attack Iran, says Italy Prime Minister, Italian Prime Minister. So it says the world leaders meet in Ontario for two days of talks. They urge Iran to respect the rule of law and hold transparent dialogue over its nuclear program. Well, it's funny, only about two or three months ago, uh, the UN was still reporting that they didn't have weapons-grade material in Iran. And now there's silence from the UN, which is the usual trick that it plays when they want it to be a country to be attacked. You know. So it's the same stuff here. And if, if the U.S. is getting too much heat, yeah, they'll pass the buck and let Israel do it. Usually Israel gets America to do it all, but and pay for it. Maybe maybe the U.S. will pay for the cleanup. Yeah. The U.S. will definitely have to go in with the troops, and you see, you're not giving an excuse. But everything is very predictable, isn't it? Because what we know is the Islamic world is being totally uh, attacked to be democratized, as they call it, which means subdued, as we all are. Because we found out we have no democracy. We run to a plan under these so-called democratic countries. And they must eradicate a religion again that makes them stand up to what's called the New World Order. And so far, these are the only ones who are standing up. Mind you, they're given no choice to. It's either be demolished or stand up to them. So supposedly the G8 actually discussed this. I can't believe it since each person got put 10 minutes to talk maximum in between, between burping and brandy and all the, all the stuff they were eating there. All they did at the G8 and the G20 were sign documents that the Sherpas, as they call them, uh, the diplomats had worked out over, over the years for them to sign. And in this wonderful democratic system where everything's above boards and 
doing so well. You know, here, here it comes. Banks financing Mexico gangs admitted in Wells Fargo deal. There's nothing new in this. This was June 29th. Uh, border between U.S. and Mexico. It says, it's from, uh, videos on it too. I'll put these links up at the end of the show on my site, cuttingfromh.com. But it's from Bloomberg and it's got videos up here. Uh, June 29th, uh, Wells Fargo and Co., which bought, uh, Watrovia Corps in 2008, has admitted in court that its un- unit failed to monitor and report suspected money laundering by narcotics traffickers. That's one of them there. And then June 29th again, Bloomberg Markets Magazine senior writer Michael Smith discusses the use of Wachovia Corps, Bank of America Corps, and others by Mexican drug cartels to launder funds. In the magazine's August 2010th issue, Smith reports that Wells Fargo and Co., which bought Wachovia in 2008, admitted in court that its unit failed to monitor and report suspected, suspected, <laughs> money laundering by narcotics traffickers. Smith uh, speaks with Betty Liu on Bloomberg Television's In the Loop, and on and on it goes. There's, there's quite a few links and videos here, so, so you can see it for yourself. And I'll put these up at the end of the show. But this is this is this, demo, this is a real democracy, which is nothing but gang rule. But it's gangs from the top, and believe you me, these gangs who are who are laundering cash are authorized to do it. Back in the 80s. The RCMP did an investigation of Canadian banks and said they'd all collapse without the drug money that was flowing in. I'm not kidding. It was getting laundered through the banks back then. This is standard stuff. Standard, eh? And for those who are addicted to technology, and I've, I've gone on about technocracy and what the goal of it is, ultimately, uh, the outcomes Windows 8, you know, and it gives us a few things that's coming out from Microsoft. This is Todd Bishop's Microsoft blog. Windows 8 leaks point to facial recognition. So uh, they're going to use your facial recognition rather than your thumbprints and so on for, for entry, etc. Plus, of course, the, is for the government. Because you see nothing out there to do with the Internet at all. Nothing. And no company that makes computers is not part of the military-industrial complex. They all have meetings together to design all this stuff where it will all interface for security reasons. And it's been like that from the beginning, for those who are still incredibly naive and think somehow it's their internet. (laughs) Ah, dear. Quite something, eh? Now, another article here. Shares slump on European bank fears. Global stock markets have fallen sharply amid concerns over European banks and the health of the global economy. They're wanting more dough to get thrown at it, basically. Uh, with taxpayers' money, of course, into this black hole to make investors take the bites and start investing, supposedly. They never say where the money goes in this black hole, eh? It's like filling up a cave. If we keep throwing the stones in the cave, maybe we'll start seeing them uh, at the entrance level. But we don't. We just see them going into the dark hole of the cave, and then they, th- they throw another few billion at it, and another few billion. And this is the farce we're expected to believe happens. It's a farce, isn't it? Utter farce. But, see, money has always been a farce. It's always been a farce. If folk haven't caught on to that, it's a tool. It's a tool. That's all it is. A tool to be dominated by. And a tool to be taxed back with, you see. It's far better having the slaves buy their own clothes, uh, pay for their own hovels to live in, because you can always tax the hovel, you see. 
and buy the necessities of life and food and all the rest of it, uh, as long as you own all those stuff that they're buying from. You see? It's far easier to do that than, than get uh, slave masters over you with a whip. Because the slave masters have to be economical. How many, how many slave masters or, or, or guards do you want over, say, 20 slaves? It's all economics that way, you see. And slaves can always run off. And, and once in a while, they used to get free by running far enough. You can't do that anymore today. Can't do it. Now, there's also the usual trivia that goes out there. As all big things are always happening, they put tri- lots of trivia out there that grabs people. And one of them is a new research on Plato and Pythagoras, like new research. It looks like it's brand new, right? Eh? And it's, it goes on about some... Um, I shall read it. It says, um, it says, thanks for my personal blog, boys, blah, 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 blah. It's just science, technology, and medicine. University of Manchester. This guy supposedly has come up with um, a paper to show you how there was meters or there was inserted every 12th uh, uh, word or so uh, a particular letter in Greek, whatever, uh, in a code for for Plato's writings. Now, the old societies down through the ages knew this stuff. How come they're suddenly rediscovering it? Well, it's put out as trivia, and for a guy to sell a book, obviously. There's nothing new, because Pythagoras was doing it as well. They, they all did this stuff back then. But that's, that'll be the main talk of conversation, probably on mainstream media, because I like to give you trivia uh, when big, big things are happening. And what big things are happening? Well, the end of community banking is happening. Did you know that? This is from Sarah Wallace, Wall Street Journal. The end of community banking. The comprehensive financial reform agreed by the House and Senate on Friday, along with all the new regulations of the past year, could signal the end of community banking. The new reforms would give more power to the Federal Reserve to regulate how my bank and others like it do business. What does all this mean for the customer? Less credit will be available, costs will increase, and we will be less able to make loans to regular people who were creditworthy in the past. This is the perfect storm for the small retail banking customer. We will start to see more small community bank failures and mergers because of voluminous regulation. I have served as the president and now the chair of the board of directors of First Federal Savings and Loan Association in Newark, Ohio, since 1980. First Federal is a $200 million federal mutual thrift. We were created to provide people a safe place to deposit their money and and loan that money back into the community in order to meet housing needs. Additionally, we utilize a significant portion of profits to give, as I says, give, not lend, um, to community organizations and projects. So now they're telling you how they're all going to be hit. They can't do this anymore. And even if you have a good customer in the past, well, you're not going to get it with the new laws from the feds. Quite interesting, eh? The things that are really happening is, is, it's great to have to get a distraction happening somewhere in the world, and that's all they talk about. Plus all the Hollywood trivia and whose boobs have been enlarged and who hasn't, you know, and who's got a sagging tummy. Always down the right-hand side of all the major stories, you'll notice, by the way. And real things are happening in the meantime. But getting back to this G20, etc., uh, they admit now, of course, and this is from uh, CBC, Chief admits the five-meter G20 security rule didn't exist. So they lie to the pu- 
They lie to the public all the time. Police had said anyone who came within five meters of the security fence was obliged to give police their name and state the purpose of their visit on request. It said that anyone who came from within five meters of the security fence was obliged to give this. And then Trento Police Chief is admitting there never was a five-meter rule that had people fearing arrest if they strayed too close to the G20 security perimeter. They treat you like children. And you get, you know something, in a sense, we all are. Because if you understood what democracy was, what on earth would ever give them the permission to put up fences in major cities in the first place? What would give them the right to ensure that most of the hotels were all all, all booked up solid? This, this is the summer. This is when all these little hotels and so on need the money from the tourist industry. Tourists couldn't get in to get rooms because of the cops were coming in from all the provinces for overtime work. Who, who gave them permission to do that? See, they can do what the hell they want. That's the reality of it. That's the reality of it. What kind of world do you think we really are living in? Haven't you noticed anything in your few years here? And then the weapons that were supposedly seized, because a lot of give us shows on television in Canada, they're generally terrible fiction, uh, but it's always about the poor lefties and stuff like that. All the, It's the ones that are getting most of the, the grants and all the rest of it. They're always, always poor where, when there's folk losing their jobs all the time. All the time. And we're back with more about the fake weapons that they showed you after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. It's an article from the Globe and Mail to do with the fake weapon seizures that they showed on television to justify how how serious it was out there on the streets, you see. That's what the police showed. And it says, weapons seized in the G20 arrests are not what they seem. Toronto Police Chief Bill Blair during a Tuesday press conference in the lobby of police headquarters at 40 College Street in Toronto. It says, Toronto Police staged... This is the Globe and Mail. They staged a display of weaponry to demonstrate the extent of the criminal conspiracy among hardline G20 protesters, but several of the items had nothing to do with the summit. That's spray cans in there too, by the way. It is weapons, spray cans. As he's facing criticism for their tactics, police invited journalists on Tuesday to view a range of weapons from a machete and baseball bat to bear spray and crowbars. Chief Bill Blair, who told reporters the items were evidence of their protesters' intent, singled, you understand how they can demonize? It's the same tactics as they demonize an enemy they want to invade. Same tactics, you demonize the enemy, you know, and show them some nonsense that you've set up. The protesters' intent singled out arrows covered in sports socks, which he said were designed to be dipped in a flammable liquid and set ablaze, like you've seen in the movies, the old westerns. However, the arrows belonged to Brian Barrett, a 25-year-old landscaper who was heading to a role-playing fantasy game, one of these Tolkien games, when he was stopped at Union Station on Saturday morning. He was going out of the city. They were grabbing a folk going out of the city. Police took his jousting gear, because he played jousting, but let Mr. Barrett go, saying it was a case of bad timing. 
In addition to the arrows which Mr. Barrett made safe for live action role-playing by cutting off the points and attaching a bit of pool noodle covered in socks, police displayed his metal body armor, foam, shields and several clubs, clubs made of plastic tubing so they don't hurt anybody, (laughs) covered with foam and fabric just to make sure, right? This is what they showed for weaponry at the summit. So, and, and they also got a crossbow, right? I read that in the paper too and I laughed at the time. Some guy was either going out hunting or just came back out of the city to probably he's one of the hunting camp. A crossbow and a chainsaw next to it and some gasoline, obviously for his generator. You see, any, any nincompoop would know that they lived in the country or, or done hunting. So they seized that as proof too that, that this is from the protesters. You see, but omitting the rest of this, the facts, that's how they can get a false impression over to the public. So it says, when asked, Chief Blair acknowledged that they were unrelated, but said everything else had been confiscated from demonstrators. You know, you know, the spray cans and stuff like that. On Wednesday, Michael uh, uh, Went and Doug Kerr emailed a letter to the Chief Blair saying that the bamboo poles may have been included in the exhibit. They noticed that they had confiscated their, their bamboo poles. So they phoned in, because they were not weapons, because they were heading to a picnic to commemorate the 1969 Stonewall riots on Sunday morning when the police seized the seven or eight uh, of the long poles, citing the G20 summit as the reason. The couple had planned to use the poles to fly a rainbow flag and decorate the park. They seized them off them and showed them off as weapons as well. Do you understand how they can misconstrue anything and do anything to people? Anything at all. That's your democracy, folks, and you better start getting to understand what really is going on and what's coming down. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.